Thank you, Pastor Stephen. Thank you, team, for leading us in worship through music this morning. That was, that was fabulous, wasn't it? Amen. It really was. You guys sound wonderful out there. Let me just applaud you. One thing that Alina and I have noticed since we've been here, you guys sing, and it's wonderful, wonderful to hear. So keep on singing. But now we're going to continue our worship through the preaching of God's Word. And so I invite you to join me in Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to pick up in verse 11, and we're going to go down to the end, not just of chapter 6, but the end of of the book itself. So we're going to bring to a close today our study in the book of Galatians. And just, you know, for those of you who may be here for the first time today, I just want you to understand that I did not just wake up one day this week and say, you know, I think I'm going to preach from Galatians 6, 11 through 18. We've been going through verse by verse section by section, chapter by chapter, ever since I got here. This is the first book of the Bible that we've had the occasion to go through together uh, as a church, and so I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have, but today we're going to bring it to a close. So, Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. I invite you to follow along with me as I read. The Bible says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God." From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And all God's people said, Father, as we enter into the time of our worship centered around the preaching of your word, I ask you that your spirit would come and enable me to preach very clearly and persuasively, that you would give me clarity of thought, mind, and speech in this moment. I pray, Lord, that you would enable me to rightly divide your word, and I pray that all of us together, through the preaching of your word today, that we would be challenged, that we would leave this place today changed, and that all of us collectively would leave this place today with a desire to live a cross-centered life that we would see the importance of picking up our own crosses and denying ourselves and following you. All of these things I pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I have a friend on Facebook. We're actually friends in real life. But I, I have a friend on Facebook who every single time, maybe you have a friend like this, Every time she posts on Facebook, whether or not it's, you know, an original post that she's writing or if she's commenting on someone else's post, every single time she posts on Facebook, she writes in all capital letters. 
It's all caps. It, it, it is without fail. It, it just doesn't matter if it's long or short, if it's her post, if she's commenting on someone's post. It's all caps. And it, it, it dawned on me, and maybe you're not aware of this, so, so maybe this will be the one thing you learned today. I don't know. But it, it dawned on me shortly after we became Facebook friends that she's probably unaware of the fact that typing in all caps is generally bad form in electronic communication. So I just give that to you free of charge today for those of you who didn't already know this. So it's typically bad form. If you're, when you're typing in all caps, what you're doing generally is communicating that you're, you're screaming or you're yelling or perhaps you're angry about something. So I thought, man, maybe she just doesn't know this. Maybe someone should tell her. Maybe I should be the one to tell her. I, I don't know. Walter, why in the world are you telling me this? Well, well, here's why. I want you to imagine for just a minute that the letter that we've been studying, the book of Galatians, I want you to imagine, imagine for just a minute that it was composed via email. Yeah, 2,000 years ago. And, and we'll just put a modern spin on this for a second. And, and furthermore, I want you to imagine that up to this point in the letter, it has been typed using a conventional sized font, as you would expect. But now as we get to the conclusion of this letter, these final seven verses or so, however many they are, it's as if the caps lock button gets turned on and it stays on through the rest of the letter. Join me in verse 11. Notice what Paul says there. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Notice, first of all, he says, I'm writing to you in my own hand. It seems as though up to this point in the letter that Paul has actually used a secretary. He has dictated the letter to this secretary. There's actually a more formal term, but it's really difficult to pronounce. And so we're just going to call the person a secretary. This was pretty standard practice in this day and age. And Paul used this a lot. So he dictated the letter to a secretary. The secretary has written down everything that Paul has had him say. But now at the end, it's as if Paul takes the pen from the secretary's hand. And now he writes the conclusion of this letter in his own handwriting, and he does it in very large letters. It is the equivalent of all caps. So the question is, okay, Paul, well, what's the deal? Are you screaming? Are you yelling? Are you mad, bro? You know, what, what's the deal? Why are you talking to us in all caps? Well, I don't think he's angry. I don't necessarily think he's shouting, but he definitely wants to get the attention of his audience, the Galatians. This is Paul's way of saying, hey, listen, guys, if you don't take anything else away from this letter that I've just written to you, make sure you take this home today. So that's what he's saying to his audience. That's what he's saying to us also 2,000 years later. Really what Paul is doing here is he's going to reinforce some of the primary themes that we've already looked at in this letter. But this is Paul's way of saying, these are the primary things that I want you guys to take away. So let's see what they are. Let's dive in together. We begin in verse 12. And there Paul says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Paul here is speaking of the Judaizers, if you've been a part of this series, you, you know this by now. The Judaizers are the entire reason why Paul writes this letter. 
They are false teachers. They've infiltrated these churches that Paul planted on his first missionary journey. And they are preaching a false gospel. And he writes this letter to confront the false gospel and the false teachers. Now, a couple of things about these Judaizers, just in case you have forgotten. Like Paul, these men are Jewish by birth. And like Paul, they have come to believe in some sense that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. But they they take it a step further after that. They go on to say they insist that faith in Jesus is not enough to be considered a true child of God. If one is to be considered a true child of God, the Judaizers say, one must also submit to the Old Testament law and to the rite of circumcision. So they're adding to faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus isn't enough, they say. You also have to submit to the law and circumcision. Now at the end of verse 12, church, Notice that Paul tells us the motive behind the preaching of this false gospel. He says they are doing this so that they would avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. I've noted this before, but I want to point it out again. We have a a detailed record in the New Testament of Paul being severely persecuted everywhere he goes. On his missionary travels, he first goes into a town and he finds the local Jewish synagogue and he goes to the synagogue and he preaches Jesus Christ as the crucified Messiah. And without fail, he is always, always persecuted and sometimes violently persecuted. He actually leaves a record for us of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There Paul writes, the Bible says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, which means he received 39 lashes. You know why they would give 39 lashes? Because according to their law, if they lashed you 40 times and you died, or anything over 40, 40 and over, then they would be guilty of your murder. But if they just lashed you 39 times and you died, well, then they weren't guilty of murder. So they would stop short of 40. Paul says, five times I received the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And we know for sure that the reference to stoning that he's talking about there happened in Galatia. In Acts chapters 13 and 14, when Paul first came to Galatia, preaching the gospel, planting these churches. The Jews of the synagogue did not like what he was preaching and they dragged his hiney tail right outside of town. They picked up rocks and they stoned him and they thought he was dead. They almost killed him then and there. Paul says, hey guys, I want you to know something about these Judaizers, these false teachers. They are not willing to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They are trying to avoid that. And that's why they have invented their own gospel. Now notice what he says also in verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. He says these guys are trying to force you to keep the law, but they don't even keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Here's what he means by that. He goes, you know, circumcision is is a cutting of the flesh. And he says these guys are trying to avoid being persecuted for the cross. So they they boast in your flesh. They're taking your circumcised flesh and they're going down to the local synagogue and they're boasting it and they're saying, see, look guys, we're Jews just like you, right? We're practicing the law. We're practicing circumcision. And so therefore, there's no reason for you to beat us. There's no reason for you to stone us. There's no reason for you to lash us, to whip us. There's no reason for you to persecute us whatsoever. 
That's the Judaizers. That's what they're doing. They agree that Jesus was crucified on the cross, yes. But church, I want you to see that these men want the benefit of the cross, but they have no interest whatsoever in picking up their own cross. And beloved, I believe it is fair to say that if we are not careful, we Western Christians can very easily fall into the same trap. Many of us, not all of us, but many of us want the benefits of the cross, but we do not necessarily want the way of the cross. And please understand this. It's not that we are trying to avoid persecution. We need to understand something as American Christians. We really are not persecuted in any real sense. And and furthermore, understand this too. When you go shopping this Christmas season and the cashier that checks you out says happy holidays, just understand that's not persecution. You're not being persecuted when they say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Just say Merry Christmas and go on your merry way. Our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, they laugh at us. Maybe they cry at us when we claim that we are being persecuted. Just this past week on Twitter, I don't believe in coincidences, so I don't think it was a coincidence. Just this past week on Twitter, as I was preparing this message, this video pops up of this pastor in India. He's from India. He's Indian by birth, but he has come to believe in Jesus Christ, and he has planted a church in his home village. And there's this video that pops up on my news feed of some of the men in the town, they don't like what he's doing. And so they go to his home and they have rods in their hands, just like Paul describes there in that Corinthians passage. They have come to beat him. And indeed, that's exactly what they do. They drag him out of the hut. They begin to beat him with these rods. And the person who posted the video said he ended up in the hospital in ICU, and we don't know anything more than that. But I say all of that just simply to remind you that we really are not persecuted here in the United States like many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are around the world. So that's not really our problem. The problem for us, beloved, I believe, as Americans, is the pool of materialism and worldly pursuits. As Paul said last week, it's the problem of sowing to the flesh materially rather than sowing to the Spirit. And sometimes I fear, I fear that too many of us would rather build our own kingdoms rather than sacrifice our personal kingdoms for the sake of Christ. Here's one thing I want you to understand this morning. When we are unwilling to pick up our cross and deny ourselves every single day, as the Bible tells us to, then the cross, church, becomes a mere symbol rather than a reality to embrace. Let me see if I can help explain what I mean by that. When I was first a believer in Christ, I used to wear a crucifix around my neck. Some of you probably wear a cross or a crucifix around your neck. It's perfectly fine. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Many of us adorn our homes with crosses. Again, that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. All of our churches, our Baptist churches, we adorn our churches with crosses, just like that one right there. But here's what I mean by making the, church, the cross a symbol rather than a reality to embrace. If we are not actually picking up our crosses and denying ourselves as Jesus commands us to and the other New Testament writers, then really we are making those crosses that we adorn our necks with and our homes with and our churches with. We're just making them a mere symbol rather than a reality to embrace. The New Testament, I think, is pretty doggone clear. Jesus himself is pretty clear. 
The New Testament writers never intended the cross to be a mere symbol. Throughout the New Testament, genuine Christianity is portrayed as the way of the cross, the crucified life, a continual denial of oneself to live and to die for Jesus Christ. Think back to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is probably the theme verse of this entire book. There Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. If Walter Overman were writing the book of Galatians and I was writing the conclusion to this letter, I would say to you, this is the one thing I want you to take home. Galatians 2.20. I want to be a Galatians 2.20 Christian. I want you to be a Galatians 2.20 Christian. And I want you to remember that 2.20 illustration. Remember the 2.20 outlet that is in your home. Your dryer is probably plugged into the 220 outlet for those of you who have not heard the illustration. And that 220 outlet is packed with a lot of power. It will reach out and touch you and not in a good way. So don't you reach out and touch it. That's why, as I told you before, whenever the dryer needs to be plugged in, I have Alina plug it in. Because it scares me to death, that thing. I don't want to be touched by it. I don't want to be bit by it. Because it's got a lot of juice running through it. Galatians 2.20 has a lot of juice it has a lot of power. I want to be a 220 Christian. Such power is found through the way of the cross, the way of self-denial. So beloved, do not, whatever you do, do not turn the cross into a mere symbol. Don't just wear it around your neck. Don't just adorn your home with it. Let's not just adorn our church with it. But let's make the cross a way of life, a reality to embrace. And this is the example, not only that Jesus gave us, but also that Paul gives us. Notice in verse 14, he says, but far be it from me to boast. Hey, those guys are boasting in your flesh, Paul says. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I think we need to understand something about crucifixion. In Paul's world, if we are to fully understand the weight of his words here. In the world in which Paul lived, the cross represented something utterly despicable. It really was contemptible. Because it's the cross where condemned criminals went to die. And they died a bloody and a torturous death. I mean, the dregs of the world would go and be hung on the cross. The lowest of the low would be hung on the cross. And it wasn't a pretty sight. The, the Latin word crux church. It was considered so crude that no polite human would even speak the word in public. And yet Paul says here, I boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. That would be like me coming up here and saying, you know what? I am going to boast in the electric chair. Someone going to the electric chair and being executed, maybe over there at Leavenworth prison. I don't know if they do executions there or not. They probably did once upon a time. Imagine me coming up here and saying, I'm going to boast in so-and-so, a great criminal who we all know, right? And it was electrocuted. I'm going to boast in that. You would think I was crazy, first of all. And secondly, you would be embarrassed for me. Man, I'm really kind of embarrassed you would stand up there and boast in that. That's what's going on. When Paul says that he's going to boast in the cross, people would think, man, that is absolutely crazy and they would be embarrassed for him and so church i think it's fair to say that one problem with the judaizers is that they were embarrassed by the crucifixion 
Now understand, they didn't deny the reality of the cross. No one would deny the reality of the cross. It was a very public event. Even today, the most liberal scholars out there in the world don't deny the reality of the cross. No one denies that Jesus was a real human being who really did go and die on the cross. Nobody denies that. That's an historical event. These guys didn't deny it either. But you know what they did do? They minimized the cross. They de-emphasized it. In church, unfortunately, many pastors and many, many theologians today are likewise embarrassed by the cross. They really are. And it shouldn't be the case. They may not deny its reality, but they, they don't boast in it either. So when was the last time you ever heard Joel Olstein preach about the cross of Jesus Christ? And that's a rhetorical question because I hope you're not watching him. There was a time when I would just kind of be interested, like I was curious, like what is this guy talking about over here? So I would just tune in for a few minutes and I never heard him say anything. I never heard old smiles say anything about Jesus Christ crucified. But if you went up to Joel Osteen and you asked him, you would say, well, sure, I believe in the cross. Yeah, that's a thing. But he doesn't emphasize it. He certainly doesn't boast in it. And unfortunately, he's not alone, church. He really isn't. You can go to many of our churches today, many evangelical churches, and you can hear sermons that would be perfectly acceptable in a Jewish synagogue. I've, I've sat in some of those churches. I have. That should never, ever be the case under any circumstance. Paul was not ashamed of the cross of Christ. We should never be ashamed of it either. Paul says this of the cross in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. If you're ashamed of the cross of Christ, I would submit to you, you are perishing. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Somebody say amen. amen. And notice the ongoing action there in 1 Corinthians. We are being saved, all right? So in one sense, at least, my salvation is not a one-off event. I don't just get my get-out-of-jail-free card and get to walk away like a naked jailbird. That's not the way it works. The moment I place my faith in Christ crucified is the moment I begin the journey of crucifying myself. And that's when I begin to experience the power of Galatians 2. 20. Notice what he says at the end of verse 14. He says, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Again, Paul is just reminding them of Galatians 2.20. That's all he's doing there. He's reminding them of crucifying the flesh every single day. Then he says in verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation he said this once before, and it's important for us to remember because the Judaizers would insist that in order for you to be a true child of God, you've got to submit to circumcision, basically become a Jew. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. Circumcision doesn't count for anything, nor does uncircumcision. So if you want to circumcise your boys, you're free to do that. If you don't want to circumcise your boys, you have the Christian freedom to do that. But if you do circumcise your boys, just understand that doesn't make them a child of God. That doesn't make them a Christian. That's what he means here. What counts, he says, is a new creation. Again, we're going to go back to his Corinthian letters. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all God's people said, that's a beautiful verse. You know, church, we talked a lot about dying to ourselves, picking up our crosses and all the rest of it. And that is true and that is important. But for us, death is not the ultimate goal of our crucifixion. Death is not the ultimate goal. New life is the ultimate goal. And think again to the example of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ was crucified. He was buried. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Then he was raised to new life. And this is what Paul is getting at here. In the same way, when we crucify ourselves, when we die to ourselves, we are raised to a new life. We gain a new nature with a new system of desires, new affections, habits that ultimately conform us more and more and more to the image of Jesus Christ Himself. That's the goal of our crucifixion. That as we pick up our cross every day, we become more and more like the selfless, self-giving, self-sacrificing, humble, gentle, merciful image of Jesus Christ. That's the goal of our crucifixion. New life. New life in Christ. The day that I die, when the Lord Jesus sees fit to call me home, and I, I hope it's not anytime soon, but when that happens, I hope I am more like Him on that day than I am today. And I pray that I am more like Him today than I was the day that He called me to Himself however many years ago it was. That's the goal of our crucifixion. Verse 16, Paul says, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So here Paul prays for peace and mercy for those who follow this rule. What does he mean, this rule? What what is that a a reference to? Well, in context, immediately, it's in reference to those who would pick up their cross, right? But in general, this rule, I think, is a reference to the gospel itself. Grace and mercy to those who have faith in the true gospel. Because remember, he's countering a false gospel. And the true gospel, Paul says, is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith alone in Jesus Christ. You can't add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Yes? Always remember that. And so it's faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ died on the cross as a sacrifice for my sin and for your sin. And he was raised to life. Again, all who trust and believe in that gospel receive peace and mercy. This is so important in our world. Peace and mercy. We forget sometimes because we like to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. But we forget how the Bible describes the human condition. We're born in this world at war with God, really. That's how the Bible describes it, at enmity with God. But through faith in Jesus Christ, you can have peace with God. How wonderful is that? I mean, you don't want to go to war with God because you can't win that war. You just can't do it. But you can actually have peace with God, and then receive the mercy of God, forgiveness of your sin. I don't care what you have done, and God doesn't care either. There's no sin that's too big that cannot be forgiven by the grace and mercy of God. And so if you're afraid that God's just going to turn you away, you need to forget about that. And you just need to come to the cross of Jesus Christ and have faith. Believe that He died in your place at Calvary, and was raised to life again. Everyone who believes that 
receives peace and mercy. And then what does Paul say? He says something about becoming the Israel of God. Do you see that there? I'm not looking at my Bibles, but I know, in my Bible, but I know that it's there. He says they become the Israel of God. What in the world is that a reference to? That sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Well, remember this, church, as we've said already, because scholars kind of disagree. They're like, well, we're not really sure what that means. I don't really think it's all that hard to figure out. In the context of Galatians, Paul has made it very clear that, you know, the Judaizers are saying, oh, you've got to be a Jew to be a true child of God. Paul says, well, well maybe that's true, okay? But you guys are going about it the wrong way, okay? It's not about circumcision and it's not about the law. But when you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you become, quote, the true child of God. Or as we said earlier, a true son or daughter of Abraham. So that's what that means. The church is the true Israel of God. That's what I believe Paul is saying. Now, verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul says, I have marks on my body. I have scars from the 40 lashes minus one. My body is disfigured from being stoned and from being beaten. He's acquired these marks, church. Why? Precisely because he has crucified himself with Christ and is willing to die if need be to preach and proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so the question before us this morning yeah, I'm, I'm at the end. This is the quickest sermon in the entire series. Aren't you happy? The question before us this morning is simply this. Do we bear the marks of Jesus in our lives? I think that's what Paul would have you write down. I would have you write it down right now. And if not right now, go home today and write it down. And write it in big letters, all caps if you have to. Ask yourself this question, do I bear the marks of Jesus in my life? Is my identification with Jesus costly? That's the question. When we look at our bank statements, do we see the marks of Jesus? When we look at our calendars, how we spend our time, do we see the marks of of Jesus. When our neighbors and our co-workers and our friends look at us, and they do look at us, oh, you claim to be a Christian, they look, what do they see? Do they see the marks of Jesus? Do they see the marks of someone who is sowing to the Spirit or sowing to the ways of the world? These are the questions, church, that we should ask ourselves, I think, regularly. We should routinely examine our lives. I think that's fair. Someone once said, it's a pagan who said it, but it's a fair statement. The unexamined life is not worth living. And I think that's true of the Christian life. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Right? But the world thinks having fullness of life is living for yourself. That's what the world thinks. Jesus turns everything upside down and says, that's not the way to fullness of life. The way of fullness of life is to pick up your cross and carry it every single day. 
And so, church, we should routinely examine our lives and ask ourselves these questions. The Christian life is fundamentally, I, I believe, if you read the New Testament, I think you will agree with me, the Christian life is fundamentally a cross-centered life. So, do we have the marks of Jesus in our lives? Or we could say it this way, is the cross a symbol in my life? Is it a symbol for me or is it a reality to embrace? Father, thank you so much for the great privilege that I have to stand up here and to proclaim your word every Sunday. Father, I pray that I would never, first of all, be ashamed of your word. And I, I pray that I would never, ever be ashamed of the cross. If I'm ever to boast in anything, help me to boast in the cross. What you accomplished for me on the cross of Calvary. And help me in light of that to pick up my own cross every single day and to follow you. As we enter into a time of celebrating Christmas, your birth, Help us to see and to recognize that your sacrifice on the cross began in a very real sense with your birth, your advent, your entrance into this world. Help us to remember all that you sacrificed. You gave up the glory and the perfection of heaven to take on human flesh, to live among us, to live a, a perfect and a sinless life and to go to the cross and die there in our place in my place, so that through faith in you, we might find peace with God and mercy, forgiveness of sin, and the promise of everlasting life. I pray, Lord, that each of us today would leave this place with a desire to pick up our own cross and to deny ourselves and to follow you, and that we would worship you in spirit and in truth the rest of our days. These things I pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. I invite you to stand, church. We're going to sing one more song, and it's an opportunity for you to respond to all that we have done here this morning through the singing of God's Word, through the preaching of God's Word. You know, if God is speaking to you in some way, I would just encourage you to respond. And yeah, you can respond right where you are. You can. Or you can come right up here and you can pray at this altar. Maybe you've heard something this morning that you've never heard. Maybe, maybe for you, the cross has been a symbol and not a reality to embrace. This is a great time to lay that down and say, no more, Lord. From this day forward, the cross is a reality for me to embrace and not just a mere symbol. Or maybe there's someone who's never found peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, I would encourage you to respond as well. Respond in faith. Whatever's on your heart, I would encourage you to come.